With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, the podcast where I live, tell you way too much about the ancient world and sometimes wonder how you ever take it all in because honestly, I talk so much and I write so much that I often just sit and think like, how is there this much information in your brain? Surely you can't fit anymore. And then you know what? I fit some more. But today, no, none or very little of that today. Kind of. Today, I am just back again reading part two of book two of Ovid's Metamorphoses because, well, I need a bit of thinking time to come up with more episodes for you and record and edit more conversations and reading episodes are fun and easy and they make me happy. So they better make you happy too or else I'll be super mad. You don't want that, do you? Hey, can you tell I've been working harder than normal lately and my brain is turning into a fine, if incredibly knowledgeable goo? 
Just a quick trigger warning. I know all of Greek myths are pretty abundant with horror shows when it comes to assault, but this is a pretty visual example of that. So just be warned. This is Ovid's Metamorphoses, translated by Brooks Moore, Book 2, Part 2. Now after Phaethon had suffered death for the vast ruin wrought by scorching flames, all the great walls of heaven's circumference, unmeasured, views the father of the gods with searching care, that none impaired by heat may fall in ruin. Well assured, they stand in self-sustaining strength, his view at last on all the mundane works of man is turned, his loving gaze long resting on his own Arcadia, and he starts the streams and springs that long have feared to flow, paints the wide earth with verdant fields, covers the trees with leaves, and clothes the injured forests in their green. While wandering in the world, he stopped amazed when he beheld the lovely nymph Callisto, and fires of love were kindled in his breast. Callisto was not clothed in sumptuous robes, nor did she deck her hair in artful coils, but with a buckle she would gird her robe and bind her long hair with a fillet white. She bore a slender javelin in her hand, or held the curving bow, and thus in arms like chaste Diana, none were loved by that fair goddess more than she, but everything must change. When bright the sun rolled down the sky beyond his middle course, she pierced a secret thicket known to her, and having slipped the quiver from her arm, she loosed the bended bow and softly down upon the velvet turf reclining, pressed her white neck on the quiver while she slept, when Jupiter beheld her, negligent and beautiful, he argued thus, How can my consort, Juno, learn of this? And yet, if chance should give her knowledge, what do I care? Let gain offset the scolding of her tongue. This said, the god transformed himself and took Diana's form, assumed Diana's dress, and imitating her awoke the maid, and spoke in gentle tones. What mountain slope, O virgin of my train, hath been your chase? Which, having heard, Callisto rose and said, Hail, goddess, greater than celestial Jove! I would declare it, though he heard the words. Jove heard and smiled, well pleased to be preferred above himself, and kissed her many times and strained her in his arms, while she began to tell the varied fortunes of her hunt. But when his ardent love was known to her, she struggled to escape from his embrace. Ah, how could she, a tender maid, resist almighty Jove? Be sure, Saturnia, if you had only witnessed her, your heart had shown more pity. Jupiter on wings transcendent sought his glorious heights. But she, in haste, departing from that grove, almost forgot her quiver and her bow. 
Behold Diana with her virgin train, when hunting on the slopes of Minalis, amidst the pleasures of exciting sport, espied the nymph and called her, who, afraid that Jove apparelled and disguised deceived, drew backward for a moment, till appeared to her the lovely nymphs that followed. Thus assured deceit was none, she ventured near. Alas, how difficult to hide disgrace! She could not raise her vision from the ground, nor as the leader of the hunting nymphs, as was her wont, walk by the goddess's side. Her silence and her blushes were the signs of injured honor. Ah, Diana, you, if you were not a virgin, would you perceive and pity her unfortunate distress? The moon's bent horns were rising from their ninth sojourn, when, fainting from Apollo's flames, the goddess of the chase observed a cool, umbrageous grove, from which a murmuring stream ran babbling gently over golden sands. When she approved the spot, lightly she struck her foot against the ripples of the stream, and praising it began, Far from the gaze of all the curious we may bathe our limbs and sport in the clear water. Quickly they undid their garments, but Callisto hid behind the others, till they knew her state. Diana, in a rage, exclaimed, Away! You must not desecrate our sacred springs! And she was driven thence. Ere this transpired, observed the consort of the thunder god her altered mien, but she, for ripening time, withheld severe resentment. Now delay was needless, for distracted Juno heard Callisto, of the god of heaven, had borne a boy called Arcas. Full of jealous rage, her eyes and thoughts enkindled as she cried, And only this was wanting to complete your wickedness, That you should bear a son and flaunt abroad the infamy of Jove. Unpunished you shall not escape, for I will spoil the beauty that has made you proud And dazzled Jupiter with wanton art. So saying, by her forehead's tresses seized the goddess on her rival, and she dragged her roughly to the ground. Pleading, she raised her suppliant arms and begged for mercy. While she pled, black hair spread over her white limbs, her hands were lengthened into feet, and claws long curving tipped them, snarling jaws deformed the mouth that Jove had kissed. And lest her prayers and piteous words might move some listening god and give remembrance, speech was so denied that only from her throat came angry growls, now uttered hoarse and threatening. Still remains her understanding, though her body thus transformed makes her appear a savage bear. Her sorrows are expressed in many a groan, repeated as she lifts her hands, if we may call them so, repeated as she lifts them towards the stars and skies, ungrateful Jove regarding, but her voice accuses not. Afraid to rest in unfrequented woods, she wanders in the fields that once were hers, around her well-known dwelling, over crags in terror. She was driven by the cries of hounds, and many a time she fled in fear, a huntress from the hunters, or she hid from savage animals, forgetting her transformed condition. Changed into a bear, 
She fled affrighted from the bears that haunt the rugged mountains, and she feared and fled the wolves, although her father was a wolf. When thrice five birthdays rounded out the youth of Arcas, offspring of Lycaon's child, he hunted in the forest of his choice, where, hanging with his plated nets the trees of Aramanthian forest, he espied his transformed mother. But he knew her not, no one had told him of his parentage. Knowing her child, she stood with leveled gaze, amazed and mute as he began approach, but Arcas, frightened at the sight, drew back to pierce his mother's breast with wounding spear. But not permitting it, the god of heaven averted, and removed them from that crime. He, in a mighty wind through vacant space, upbore them to the dome of starry heaven, and fixed them, constellations, bright amid the starry host. Juno on high beheld Callisto crowned with glory. Great with rage, her bosom heaved. She flew across the sea to hoary Tethys and to old Oceanus, whom all the gods revere, and thus to them in answer to their words she made address. And is it wondered that the queen of gods comes hither from ethereal abodes? My rival sits upon the throne of heaven. Yes, when the wing of night has darkened, let my fair word be deemed of no repute. If you behold not in the height of heaven those new-made stars, now honored to my shame, conspicuous, fixed in the highest dome of space that circles the utmost axis of the world, who then should hesitate to put a front on Juno, matchless goddess? Each offense redounds in benefit. Who dreads her rage? O oh, boundless powers, O oh, unimagined deeds! My enemy assumes a goddess's form when my decree deprives her human shape, and thus the guilty rue their chastisement. Now let high Jove to human shape transform this hideous beast, as once before he changed his Io from a heifer. Let him now divorce his Juno and consort with her, and lead Callisto to his couch, and take that wolf, Lycaon, for a father-in-law." Oh, if an injury to me, your child, may move your pity, drive the seven stars from waters crystalline and azure tint, and your domain debar from those that shine in heaven, rewarded for Jove's wickedness. Bathe not a concubine in waters pure. The gods of heaven granted her request. High in her graceful chariot through the air, translucent, Wends the goddess, glorious child of Saturn, with her peacocks many-hued. Her peacocks by the death of Argus limped. So gay were made when black as midnight turned thy wings, O chattering raven, white of yore. For long ago the ravens were not black. Their plumage then was white as any dove, white-feathered, snow-white as the geese that guard with watchful cries the capital as white as swans that haunt the streams. Disgrace reversed the raven's hue from white to black, because offense was given by his chattering tongue. O glorious Phoebus, dutiful to you, Coronis of Larissa, fairest maid of all Emonia, was a grateful charm, a joy to you while faithful to your love, while none defamed her chastity. But when the raven, bird of Phoebus, learned the nymph had been unfaithful, 
mischief bent that bird, spreading his white wings, hastened to impart the sad news to his master. After him the prattling crow followed with flapping wings, eager to learn what caused the raven's haste. Concealing nothing, with his busy tongue the raven gave the scandal to that bird, and unto him the prattling crow replied, A fruitless errand has befooled thy wits. Take timely warning of my fateful cries. Consider what I was and what I am. Was justice done? Twas my fidelity that caused my downfall. For it came to pass within a basket, fashioned of small twigs, Minerva had enclosed that spawn, begot without a mother, Erichthonius, which to the wardship of three virgins, born of a double-natured, key crops, she consigned this injunction. Look you not therein, nor learn the secret. But I saw their deeds while hidden in the leaves of a great tree, two of the sisters, Hersey and Pendrosos, observed the charge. But scoffing at their fears, the third, Aglaris, with her nimble hands untied the knotted cords, and there disclosed a serpent and an infant. This I told Minerva, but in turn she took away her long protection and degraded me beneath the boding owl. My punishment should warn the birds how many dangers they incur from chattering tongues. Not my desire impelled me to report to her, nor did I crave protection, which, if you will ask, Minerva, though enraged, she must confirm, and when is told to you what lately fame established, you will not despise the crow. Begot by Quirinius, who was the lord of all the land of Phocis, I was once a royal virgin, sought by suitors rich and powerful, but beauty proved the cause of my misfortune, for it came to pass, as I was slowly walking on the sands that skirt the merge of ocean, where was oft my wont to roam, the god of ocean, gazed impassioned, and with honeyed words implored my love. But finding that I paid no heed, and all his words despised, he fumed with rage and followed me. I fled from the seashore to fields of shifting sands that all my steps delayed, and in despair upon the gods and all mankind I called for aid. But I was quite alone and helpless. Presently the chaste Minerva, me, a virgin, heard and me assistance gave. For as my arms implored the heavens, downy feathers from out the flesh, and as I tried to cast my mantle from my shoulders, wings appeared upon my tender sides. And as I strove to beat my naked bosom with my hands, nor hands remained, nor naked breast to beat. I ran, and as I sped the sands, no more delayed me. I was soaring from the ground. And as I winged the air, Minerva chose me for a life companion. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. But alas, although my life was blameless, fate or chance deprived me of Minerva's loving aid. For soon, Nictimini succeeded me in her protection and deserved esteem. It happened this way. Nictimini committed the most wicked crimes for which Minerva changed her to the bird of night, and ever since has claimed her as her own instead of me, and this despite the deed for which she shuns the glorious light of day and conscious of her crime conceals her shame in the dark night. Minerva's owl, now called, all the glad birds of day indignant shun and chase her from the skies. But now replied the raven to the crow, that talked so much, a mischief fall upon your prating head for this detention of my flight, your words and warnings I despise. With which retort he winged upon his journey, swiftly thence in haste, despite the warning to inform his patron, Phoebus, how he saw the fair Coronis with a lad of Thessaly. And when Apollo, Phoebus, heard the tale the busy raven made such haste to tell, he dropped his plectrum and his laurel wreath, and his bright countenance went white with rage. He seized his trusted arms, and having bent his certain bow, pierced with a deadly shaft that bosom which so often he had pressed against his own. Coronis moaned in pain, and as she drew the keen shaft from the wound, her snow-white limbs were bathed in purple blood. And thus she wailed, Ah, Phoebus, punishment is justly mine, but wherefore did you not await the hour of birth? For by my death an innocent is slain. This said, her soul expired with her lifeblood, and death congealed her drooping form. Sadly the lovelorn god repents his jealous deed, regrets too late his ready credence to the raven's tale. Mourning his thoughtless deed, blaming himself, he vents his rage upon the talking bird. He hates his bow, the string, his own right hand, the fateful arrow. As a last resort, and thus, to overcome his destiny, he strove to cherish her beloved form, for vain were all his medicinal arts. But when he saw appraised the funeral pyre, where wreathed in flames her body should be burnt, the sorrow of his heart welled forth in sighs, 
but tearless orbed, for no celestial face may tide of woe bedew. So grieves the poor dam, when, swinging from his right the flashing axe, the butcher with his sounding blow divides the hollow temples of her suckling calf. Yet, after Phoebus poured the fragrant myrrh, sweet perfumes on her breast, that now once more against his own he pressed, and after all the prematurely hastened rites were done, he would not suffer the offspring of his loins to mingle with her ashes. But he plucked from out the flames, forth from the mother's thighs, his child, unborn, and carried to the cave of double-natured Chiron. Then to him he called the silly raven, high in hopes of large requital due to all his words. But angry with his meddling ways, the god turned the white feathers of that bird to black, and then forbade forevermore to perch among the favored birds whose plumes are white. Chiron the centaur taught his pupil, proud that he was honored by that godlike charge. Behold, his lovely daughter who was born beside the margin of a rapid stream came forward with her yellow hair as gold adown her shoulders. She was known by Okiroi, the hidden things that fate conceals, she had the power to tell, for not content was she to learn her father's arts, but rather pondered on mysterious things. So when the god of frenzy warmed her breast, gazing on Asclepius, the child of Phoebus and Coronis, while her soul was gifted with prophetic voice, she said, O oh, thou who will bestow on all the world the blessed boon of health, Increase in strength. To you shall mortals often owe their lives. To you is given the power to raise the dead. But when against the power of deities you shall presume to dare your mortal skill, the bolts of Jove will shatter your great might, and health no more be yours from thence to grant. And from a god you shall return to dust, and once again from dust become a god, and you shall thus renew your destiny." And you, dear father Chiron, brought to birth with pledge of an immortal life, informed with ever-during strength, when biting flames of torment from the baneful serpent's blood are coursing in your veins, you shall implore a welcome death, and your immortal life the gods shall suffer to the power of death, and the three destinies shall cut your thread. She would continue these prophetic words, but tears unbidden trickled down her face, and as it seemed her sighs would break her heart, she thus bewailed, The fates constrain my speech, and I can say no more. My power has gone. Alas, my art, although of little force and doubtful worth, has brought upon my head the wrath of heaven. Oh, wherefore did I know to cast the future? Now my human form puts on another shape, and the long grass affords me needed nourishment. I want to range the boundless plains and have become, in image of my father's kind, a mare. But gaining this, why lose my human shape? My father's form is one of the two combined. And as she wailed, the words became confused and scarcely understood, and soon her speech was only the whinny of a mare. Down to the meadows green her arms were stretched, her fingers joined together and smooth hoofs made of five nails, a single piece of horn. Her face and neck were lengthened and her hair swept downward as a tail. The scattered locks that clung around her neck were made a mane, tossed over to the right. Her voice and shape were altogether changed. 
and since that day the change has given her a different name. In vain her hero father Chiron prayed the glorious god Apollo her to aid. He could not thwart the will of mighty Jove, and if the power were his, far from the spot, from thence afar his footsteps trod the fields of Elis and Messenia, far from there. Now while Apollo wandered on those plains, his shoulders covered with a shepherd's skin, his left hand holding his long shepherd's staff, his right hand busied with the seven reeds of seven sizes, brooding over the death of Hymenaeus, lost from his delight, while mournful ditties on the reeds were tuned, his kind, forgotten, strayed away to graze over the plains of Pelos. Mercury observed them, unattended, and from thence drove them away and hid them in the forest. So deftly did he steal them, no one knew or noticed, save an ancient forester, well known to all the neighbor folk, by them called Battus. He was keeper of that wood and that green pasture where the blooded mares of rich Nellius grazed. As Mercury distrusted him, he led him to one side and said, Good stranger, whosoever you are, if... Any one should haply question you, if uh, you have seen your kind. Deny it all, and for your good will, ere the deed is done, I give as a reward this handsome cow. Now when the gift was his, old Battis said, Go hence in safety, if it be your will, and should my tongue betray you, let that stone make mention of the theft. And as he spoke, he pointed to a stone. The son of Jove pretended to depart, but quickly changed his voice and features and retraced his steps, and thus again addressed that ancient man. Kind sir, if, if you would earn a fair reward, a heifer and a bull, if you have seen some cattle pass, I pray you give your help and tell me of the theft. So the reward was doubled, and the old man answered him, Beyond those hills they are. And so they were, beyond those hills. And, laughing, Mercury said, "'You treacherous man, to me you do betray myself. "'Do you betray me to myself?' "'The god, indignant, turned his perjured breast into a stone, "'which even now is called the Stone of Pelos, "'a disgraceful name derived from days of old, but undeserved. "'High in the dome of heaven, behold the bright, caduceus bearer, soared on balanced wings, and far below him through a fruitful grove, devoted to Minerva's hallowed reign, some virgins bearing on their lovely heads, in wicker baskets wreathed and decked with flowers, their sacred offerings to the citadel of that chaste goddess. And the winged god, while circling in the clear, unbounded skies, beheld that train of virgins, beautiful, as they were thence returning on their way. Not forward on a level line he flew, but wheeled in circles round. Lo, the swift kite swoops round the smoking entrails, while the priests enclose in guarded ranks their sacrifice. Wary with fear, that swiftest of all birds dares not to venture from his vantage height, but greedily hovers on the waving wings around his keen desires. So the bright god circled those towers, Actian, round and round in mazy circles, greedy as the bird. As much as Lucifer outshines the stars that emulate the glory of his rays, as greatly as bright Phoebe pales your light, O lustrous Lucifer, 
so far surpassed in beauty the fair maiden Hersey, all those lovely virgins of that sacred train, departing joyous from Minerva's grove. The son of Jupiter, astonished, while he wheeled on balanced pinions through the yielding air, burned hot, as off from Balearic sling the leaden missile, hurled with sudden force, burns in a glowing heat beneath the clouds. Then sloped the god his course from airy height, and turned a different way. Another way he went without disguise, in confidence of his celestial grace. But though he knew his face was beautiful, he combed his hair and fixed his flowing raiment, that the fringe of radiant gold appeared. And in his hand he waved his long, smooth wand, with which he gives the wakeful sleep or waketh ridded eyes. He proudly glanced upon his twinkling feet that sparkled with their scintillating wings. In a secluded part of that great fane, devoted to Minerva's hallowed rites, three chambers were adorned with tortoise-shell and ivory and precious woods inlaid. And there, devoted to Minerva's praise, three well-known sisters dwelt. Upon the right dwelt Pandrosos, and over on the left Aglorus dwelt, and Hersey occupied the room between the two. When Mercury drew near to them, Aglorus first espied the god, and ventured to inquire his name, and wherefore he was come. Then Gracious spoke to her in answer the bright son of Jove, Behold the god who carries through the air the mandates of almighty Jupiter. But I come hither not to waste my time in idle words, but rather to beseech your kindness and good aid, that I may win the love of your devoted sister, Hersey. Aglorus on the son of Jupiter, gazed with those eyes that only lately viewed the guarded secret of the yellow-haired Minerva, and demanded as her price gold of great weight, before he paid denied admittance to the house. Minerva turned, with orbs of stern displeasure, toward the maid Aglorus, and her bosom heaved with sighs so deeply labored that her aegis shield was shaken on her valiant breast, for she remembered when Aglorus gave to view her charge with impious hand, that monster form without a mother, mother nature's law, what time the god who dwells on Netlemnus loved. Now to requite the god and sister, her to punish whose demand of gold was great. Minerva to the cave of envy sped, dark, hideous with black gore, her dread abode is never shine, and where the breathing winds may never venture, dismal, bitter, cold, untempered by the warmth of welcome fires, involved forever in aboding gloom. When the fair champion came to this abode, she stood before its entrance, for she deemed it not a lawful thing to enter there. And she, whose arm is mortal to her loss, struck the black doorposts with her pointed spear and shook them to the center. Straight the doors flew open, and, behold, within was envy, ravening with the flesh of vipers, self-begot, the nutriment of her depraved desires. When the great goddess met her evil gaze, she turned her eyes away. But envy slow, in sluggish languor, from the ground uprose, and left the scattered serpents half-devoured. Then, moving with a sullen pace, approached, and when she saw the gracious goddess, girl with beauty and resplendent in her arms, she groaned aloud and fetched up heavy sighs. Her face is pale, her body long and lean, her shifting eyes glance to the left and right, 
Her snaggle teeth are covered with black rust. Her hanging paps overflow with bitter gall. Her slavered tongue drips venom to the ground. Busy in schemes and watchful in dark snares, and sweet sleep is banished from her bloodshot eyes. Her smiles are only seen when others weep. With sorrow she observes the fortunate and pines away as she beholds their joy. Her own existence is her punishment, and while tormenting, she torments herself. Although Minerva held her in deep scorn, she thus commanded her with winged words. Instill your poison in Aglaris, child of Kecrops. I command you, do my will. She spoke, and spurning with her spear the ground, departed. And the sad and furtive-eyed Envy observed her in the glorious flight. She murmured at the goddess, great in arms, but waiting not she took in hand her staff, which bands of thorns encircled as wreath and veiled in midnight clouds, departed thence. She blasted on her way the ripening fields, scorched the green meadows, starred with flowers, and breathed a pestilence throughout the land and the great cities. When her eyes beheld the glorious citadel of Athens, great in art and wealth, abode of joyful peace, she hardly could refrain from shedding tears, that nothing might be witnessed worthy tears. She sought the chamber where Aglaris slept, and hastened to obey the god's behest. She touched the maiden's bosom with her hands, foul with corrupting stains, and pierced her heart with jagged thorns, and breathed upon her face a noxious venom, and distilled through all the marrow of her bones and in her lungs a poison blacker than the ooze of pitch. And lest the canker of her poisoned soul might spread unchecked throughout increasing space, she caused a vision of her sister's form to rise before her, happy with the god who shone in his celestial beauty. All appeared more beautiful than real life when the most wretched daughter of Kecrops had seen the vision's secret torment seized on all her vitals, and she groaned aloud, tormented by her frenzy day and night. A slow consumption wasted her away, as ice is melted by the slant sunbeam, when the cool clouds are flitting in the sky. If she but thought of Hersey's happiness, she burned, as thorny bushes are consumed with smoldering embers under the steaming stems. She could not bear to see her sister's joy, and longed for death, an end of misery, or schemed to end the torture of her mind by telling all she knew in shameful words— whispered to her austere and upright sire. But after many agonizing hours, she sat before the threshold of their home to intercept the god, who as he neared spoke softly in smooth blandishment. Enough, she said. I will not move from here until you have departed from my sight. Let us adhere to that which was agreed, rejoined the graceful-formed Kylenian god, who as he spoke thrust open with a touch of his compelling wand the carved door. But when she made an effort to arise, her thighs felt heavy, rigid, and benumbed, and as she struggled to arise her knees were stiffened, and her nails turned pale and cold, her veins grew pallid as the blood congealed, and even as the dreaded cancer spread through all the body, adding to its taint the flesh uninjured, so a deadly chill entered by slow degrees her breast and stopped her breathing and the passages of life. 
She did not try to speak, but had she made an effort to complain, there was not left a passage for her voice. Her neck was changed to rigid stone. Her countenance felt hard. She sat a bloodless statue, but of stone, not marble white. Her mind had stained it black. So from the land of Pallas went the god, his great revenge accomplished on the head of impious Aglarus, and he soared on waving wings into the opened sky. And there his father called him to his side and said, with words to hide his passion, Son, you faithful minister of my commands, let not delay you. Swiftly take the way, accustomed to the land of Sidon, which adores your mother's star upon the left, when there drive over to the sounding shore that royal herd, which far away is fed on mountain grass. He spoke, and instantly the herd was driven from the mountainside, then headed for the shore, as Jove desired, to where the great king's daughter often went in play, attended by the maids of Tyr. Can love abide the majesty of kings? Love cannot always dwell upon a throne. Jove laid aside his glorious dignity, for he assumed the semblance of a bull and mingled with the bullocks in the grove, his color white as virgin snow, untrod, unmelted by the watery southern wind. His neck was thick with muscles, dewlaps hung between his shoulders, and his polished horns, so small and beautifully set, appeared the artifice of man, fashioned as fair and more transparent than a lucent gem. His forehead was not lowered for attack, nor was there fury in his open eyes. The love of peace was in his countenance. When she beheld his beauty and mild eyes, the daughter of Agenor was amazed, but daring not to touch him, stood apart until her virgin fears were quieted. Then near him, fragrant flowers in her hand, she offered, tempting, to his gentle mouth. And then the loving God in his great joy kissed her sweet hands and could not wait her will. Jove then began to frisk upon the grass, or laid his snow-white side on the smooth sand, yellow and golden. As her courage grew, he gave his breast one moment for caress, or bent his head for garlands newly made, wreathed for his polished horns. The royal maid, unwitting what she did, at length sat down upon the bull's broad back. Then, by degrees, the god moved from the land and from the shore, and placed his feet, that seemed but shining hoofs, in shallow water by the sandy merge. And not a moment resting bore her thence, across the surface of the middle sea, while she, affrighted, gazed upon the shore, so fast receding. And as she held his horn in her right hand, and steadied by the left, held on his ample back, and in the breeze her waving garments fluttered as they went. Oh, nerds, nerds, nerds. Thank you so much for listening. As always, it means the world to me that you like to listen to so many varied things that I create, be they ridiculously researched episodes or conversations with super cool and smart nerds or just like episodes like this where I get to take a bit of a brain breather and just read some Ovid to you. Because you know what? All of these different types of episodes have value in their own ways. 
Ovid is so fun to read and to listen to. Like, why wouldn't you want to just experience it just like that, you know? <sighs> also, this one was so much. So many stories woven together. They're not always like this. It kind of varies throughout the books. It's interesting, though. You get so many different types of transformations, metamorphoses, even. This one was had some particular horror shows. And, of course, now we've been introduced to Europa. So you know what book three is going to do. Whew, we're going to get to my Cadmus, though. <laughs> Just you wait. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. She's the best. Stephanie Foley is also the best. She works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. I am Liv, and I love this shit very much. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.